you are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 21st of February. The road to 45 wins. Where do the Jazz find themselves? And a look at the Western Conference playoff race. Plus, get to know Donovan Mitchell and a get-to-know interview with Derek Favors. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. Thank you very much for tuning in to Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, bringing you insight, expertise, a look behind the curtains, and some geeky numbers you can't get anywhere else. Hope you're great. Uh... Yesterday's show had the Royce O'Neal get to know interview. Today we'll have the Donovan Mitchell get to know as well as um, a Derek Favors. And then tomorrow I'm going to link three of them together. Ricky Rubio, uh, Joe Ingles, and Rudy Gobert for you. Um, these interviews were all done in the preseason before the year started, but they're still timely. And now that you know the guys a little bit better, I think they might have uh, a bit more meaning. So thought it would be good to get to hear those, and I'm sure Donovan uh, is on the top of the list. But before we do that, there's uh, a piece of work that I've always, I do every year that went by the wayside for a little while and now kind of comes back to prominence. It's called The Road to 45 Wins. Uh, I do want to thank, by the way, slowtheflow.org. Murdoch Chevy and the Advocates for sponsoring uh, today's edition of Locked on Jazz on this Wednesday edition. So what I do at the beginning of every year, we set a number. This year we set 45. We thought it was the high end of wins. And then go through every team, regardless if it's a back-to-back, whether we've played five games in seven nights, which you don't do anymore, and just look at it. So logically, if you're going to win 45 games and you play Denver four times, you're going to have to beat them twice. So, And then you break them up to home and, and road. So I chose that we would win one road game and one home game. Now it turned out that against Denver, we won both home games and lost both road games. And as it comes out, then we're even with them for the year. They just kind of... Portland, for example, we played four times. We've only played them twice, had the same setup. But we've won one at home out of one chance and one on the road out of one chance. So we're actually ahead if we on that. The way it projects on Portland is that, you know, if we can get that third win against Portland, then that's a that would be a plus one that we didn't anticipate. So you go through this whole thing and going through the schedule so far this year uh, and looking at all the games the Jazz have are 11 and 14 against the east. Uh they're 19 and 14 against the west and you so they have not done it in any way that we thought they would have for you know example we thought they'd win I had them winning both games against the Knicks we lost both. So there's minus 2. I had them winning one against Philadelphia. We lost both. That's another minus 1. Yet we've won we beat Cleveland and beat Toronto and Toronto and so you just kind of go through and right now I have the Jazz right on schedule. So I have them projected based on this at 45.5 wins. If they play as a 45-win team the rest of the way, they would get 45.5 wins. Okay? That just, you have some halves in there. Right now we're plus 0.5. It'll even out. Uh, so either 45 or 46. You would think that that should get the job done, but teams have been on fire recently, and I'm not sure it does. Two teams, both the Pelicans 
and the Clippers probably would both have to come in at below 45. If you look at 538 and their projections for the season, uh, they have the Jazz coming in at 46 wins, so right about where the road to 45 has them. The Pelicans at 44, the Clippers at 44. So you're going to need 45 to get in on this system. If you believe 538, you need 45 to get in. It is, as I keep saying, the Jazz are on fire. But the hard thing to figure out here is who's not making it. The way 538 projects, they have the Timberwolves 48, Thunder 47, Spurs 47, Jazz 46, Blazers 45, Nuggets 45, Clippers 44, Pelicans 44. But every team has a better than 50% chance to make the playoffs, which is kind of wild. The ESPN NBA playoff odds have it a little differently. They're similar systems, and the basketball reference has their system. There's three of them out there. But so as we look at the Jazz road to 45, we have have them at 45.5. ESPN has the Jazz projected right now at 44. Denver at 44. Portland at 44. They have the Clippers in New Orleans at 43 wins. But again, everybody over 50% chance to make the playoffs. So it's going to take every single one of these to make the playoffs, we better be good when we come out. I mean, we have a homestand with Portland, Houston, and Minnesota right out of the shoot. Dallas in there as well on a back-to-back. So we've you got to figure it out right away. The basketball reference system, which is a little different, but their playoff, their math is done a little differently. They're projecting the similar 48-48 Minnesota San Antonio, Oklahoma City 46, Denver 44, Portland 44, Utah 44.0, Pelicans 43.8, and Clippers 43.3. It's going to be insane. Here's a quick little rundown on each of the teams. And and every time you say the Jazz are going to make plays, you got to figure out which two aren't going to make it. So the Pelicans have to play a back-to-back-to-back now. So that's new with the rescheduling. But all three of them are at home. And the Pelicans play 14 of their final 25 games at home. So even without DeMarcus, and they may have found their groove, Anthony Davis was unbelievable to close the year. And they're on a three-game win streak. Mecca Okafor's actually been good for them. But they play 14 of their final 25 at home. The Clippers are 5-2 and two in their last seven. Fifth-best defensive team. They play 12 of their next 18 against top 10 offenses in the league. So that'll be interesting. And they have a league high 19 games remaining against above 500 teams. So that's tough for them. Denver has won 9 of 12. They're supposed to get Millsap back at some point. They're not defending. They're still 27th in the league defensively. They, against plus 500 teams, are 14 and 16, and they just beat you offensively. They're 21 and 3 when they shoot better than you. Now, what I think will be interesting with Denver is they have a road trip coming up. They're they're 
Jokic is playing great. They feel good about themselves. They've won five of seven, or excuse me, they've won nine of twelve, and they they've really played great. They come back with three big games: San Antonio, Houston, and the Clippers at home, and then they go on the road and play. I believe eleven of their next fifteen games on the road, and some tough teams. If they're still alive on April 1st, they're all right. They come home to finish with four of six at home. But those are all tough teams. And they close with Milwaukee, Indiana, Minnesota, Clippers, Portland, Minnesota. They don't have a game other after March 21st against a non-playoff contending team. So Denver's schedule is brutal. They get Millsap back. They're playing well. But they're, they could come unglued a little bit. That, that's a possibility. Portland has 11 games left against top 10 defenses. They actually usually play pretty well against top 10 defenses. And are 23rd in the league defensively since January 1st. So they open the year playing great defensively. Have not regained that defensive mojo. Lillard and McCollum have been great. Lillard's been amazing. Uh, But they've been about, you know, they had that little win streak. They then lost us. They beat the Warriors to close. Um, and they their schedule's intermixed with some some not very difficult games in there. Other ones I don't think are really in. Minnesota has five games left all season against top ten offenses, which means they're going to win a lot because their offense is so good. John Schumann gave me a lot of these notes on his power rankings. They're great. Oklahoma City is 19th defensively since losing Andre Robertson. I don't think that they could fall out. They're just too good. And they're 33 and 26. They, they'd they really have to hit the skids. But they're 3 and 6 in their last nine. They open at Sacramento on their first game back, which is easy. They play at Golden State. Then they play Orlando, Dallas, Phoenix. I mean, they've got just this easy little opening stretch where I assume they win four out of five. And then, you know, at that point, they're, <clears throat> They're at 37 wins, and they'd have to really fall apart. Um, and they've got, their schedule is laden with soft games. Sacramento, Orlando, Dallas, Phoenix, Phoenix, Sacramento, Atlanta, and Memphis. So they have eight games this year left that are softies, which would get them to 41 wins. All right, get to know Donovan Mitchell. So my point of this is it's you're really going to have to earn it. It's going to be nuts. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, let's uh, get to know Donovan Mitchell. Uh, <clears throat> but first, slow the flow. The people at slowtheflow.org have done a really nice job of, of building a campaign to remind us of how important all the things that you know we really care about in the state of Utah are. And anything you can do, <clears throat> anything you can do uh, to help is important. So, what are some of those things that you can do? That slow the fl- you can go to slowtheflow.org and check it out. But uh, our goal is to reduce water usage by twenty five percent by twenty twenty five. That sounds crazy until you start thinking about it. Obviously, take potential leaks if you're getting a water sense certified showerhead that can save hundreds of gallons of water. Uh, if you're Using a five-minute shower, you take 12 to 25 gallons of water. A full tub takes 70 gallons of water. You don't want to be, you know, you you 
take one less minute shower. We've talked about 1,875 gallons of water every year. Uh, that shower that I mentioned is 2.5 gallons for every minute you shower. These are big, big things you can do. Slowtheflow.org is the spot. Save H2O. They've done wonderful work. And <clears throat> we know that we live in this desert and the water uh, is pretty intermittent on what happens with our water. Today's show is also brought to you by the Advocates. The great work done by Matt and the crew at the Advocates. Pretty interesting company. UtahAdvocates.com. UtahAdvocates.com has 25 years of being injury, personal injury attorneys focusing on car accidents. What they figured out in those 25 years, it's a every single accident is different, but every process is the same. So by streamlining the process, almost think about like an airplane checklist. They've got 106 steps that they've built time in, time out. Boom, 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 boom. And when they build each one of these, what they do is they have experts that work with the insurance company, experts who work with the hospital, experts who work with the auto people, each along the way. The attorney's then talking to you within 60 seconds of your phone call at 801-355-5550. That's 801-355-5550. What this does is it creates an efficient process. That means productivity, means communication, means expediting the process, and experts at the task each way do that for you. The Utah Advocates, there to help you get good results, make sure nothing bad happens to you, and treat you well. Structure, boom, 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 boom. Map out the best experience, put the special teams to work, and you get the best experience of it. That's what makes Utah Advocates such a special group. All right, it's time to get to know Donovan Mitchell. Pretty excited for this. By the way, if you haven't heard already, Locked On NBA has moved to five days a week. Longer format this week with an Eastern Conference and Western Conference previews than Brent Barry coming to you on Thursday. But also, it's going to be kind of a daily-style, bite-sized digestible what's happened in the NBA from the Lockdown Podcast Network hosts. We're really excited about it. So uh, that's coming your direction, so make sure you you grab that and subscribe to Lockdown NBA if you haven't already. All right, get to know Donovan Mitchell. This was done uh, earlier this season. We'll have this here, here. Here it comes. Let's get to know Donovan Mitchell. If you took me back to your hometown, what would you show me? Where would you take me? Um... I'd probably take you to two states, to be honest with you. Um, I grew up main, mainly most of my life in New York, uh, but I live in Greenwich, Connecticut currently. So I'd probably take you around New York City because I love being there, um, around where I grew up, where I used to play basketball, where I remember vividly thinking I would never be in the NBA because, you know, it's such a long shot. And then I'd take you to Greenwich where I learned so many things off the court, uh, how to be a, a good, humble person, you know, to a character, how to how to speak, how to how to – be a pro, I guess you could say, without learn- knowing it was giving you the tools to be a pro and just show you all these uh, spectacular restaurants. There's one street called Greenwich Avenue where it's a bunch of designer stores for about six, seven straight blocks down a hill. Um, Got to take you to uh, Todd's Point, which is like a little bit of a beach area. And um, obviously show you show you my home and show you where I grew up and where I went to school. What are you in birth order, brothers and sisters? I'm, I'm the oldest by five. Years, five years. So you are the the little sister thinks you walk on water and uh, admires you a bit. Yeah, but now she's getting to the age where she feels she's the she's the queen and everything revolves around her. Which I understand. She's she's fifteen, so she's getting to that age. If you took me back to that childhood room, what's on the walls? What would you show me? What would I see? Probably a picture post of LeBron, all my trophies. Um, a bunch of signed baseballs, basketballs, 
A lot of video games. Probably too many to count. Shoes. Um, I still have a pair, my first pair of shoes I ever dunked in. White and orange um, hyperdunks. Uh, spilled grape soda on them. So <laughs> that was pretty upset about that. I'll never forget that. Um, Under Armour Elite 24 basketball invite. Um, the picture of me dunking at that at that game. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. This stuff I'm forgetting, but that's pretty much it. So when you were in the backyard or on the local court, who were you pretending to be? <laughs> um, it's kind of 50-50, split 50-50. Mike Piazza for a good most of my life. And then when it got warm out again, <laughs> I pretended to be uh, LeBron, T-Mac, MJ. I used to actually go to my friend's house or my friends come over. We'd put jerseys on. And pretend to be them. So I put Michael Jordan's jersey on, T Mac, Vince Carter, LeBron, D Wade, and uh, we would just play. It's all right. We played games and I announced them. <laughs> it's uh, it's incredible. <laughs> you you announced the games. Yeah, we would play little games like wiffle ball and things like that. Oh, I like but that. I would announce them, and I we like would that. do pre and post game shows. Really? Yes. So you know, I what like was that. your first like nickname that. you ever got? Spider. Definitely Spider. And where's that from? Um. I had long arms. I never knew it would translate to my real actual game, but I had long arms, uh, quick, and, and just get a lot of steals. And my teammate's dad always called me that, never called me by my real name. And um, said it's because I was like I was spinning my web. That's how fast my arms were moving. So when you get a steal, I call it a spider bite? That's fine. I like that. Okay. All right. Uh, I think I know the reason, but why don't you tell the story of why you were 45? Um, so I was a baseball and basketball player, and... Um, you know, Michael Jordan was 23 to everybody, but he wore 45 to play baseball and even basketball periodically. So, and also I like being different too. And no one chooses 45 when you think of Michael Jordan, but I do. Yeah. I'm not sure if you've totally experienced this yet, but this is like a life of downtime. Yeah. Um, and you actually mentioned the other day you like to kind of get out and go around. What What do you like to do in your downtime? I love watching other people play sports. Um, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, soccer, hockey, lacrosse, whatever. I just love watching sports, uh, sporting events. I love seeing people compete. It's just, it just gives you something to do, you know. Um, you get to see people in their natural spaces where they're one person there and a different person off the floor, you know. Um, love watching Netflix. It's a big thing of mine. Um, Xbox is always huge. But when I'm getting out, when I'm walking around, I just love just interacting with people, you know, and using where I pl- my platform now to make people's day, to make them, people say hi to me, make sure to take a picture, say hello, do whatever, but just having fun. All right, I'll go check the NHL schedule and see when we have nights off and NHL games. I usually do that. Are there NHL games on Well, no, when we play. Oh, you mean. Like yeah, if we're in Atlanta uh, on a night yeah. off and the, they play. I would play definitely some, go. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would definitely go. That's how I always check that. I haven't checked it yet. Um, what is your guilty pleasure? candy and snacks unhealthy snacks it's bad but i'm getting better at it what is the most memorable moment of your career wow getting drafted um probably because i never thought it would happen uh, so, or at least that fast getting drafted for sure all right i gotta tell you a funny story about you getting drafted so ron boone who you've met is my analyst mm-hmm. i'm in japan for the draft in the draft first time i've ever missed the draft and i I'm getting like the reports probably from Woj tweets or something. And I text him from Japan. We should trade right now and go get Donovan Mitchell with this pick. Really? And he, I mean, obviously I knew that was our interest, but he texted me back like, from Japan? <laughs> <laughs> so I was on a Shinkansen train going through, I think, Nara at the time. Anyway, all right, let's talk a little bit about 
uh, kind of this book, Angela Duckworth's book, Grit, and Daniel Coyle's book, uh, Talent Code, and just that leads to elite athletes. And the first kind of aspect of this is, like, what made you believe? What made you believe that you would get here one day? Um, it really took me about, what's it, October? I would say about April or May to kind of figure that out, to be honest with you. People always, I tell that to people, and they kind of get surprised, but... You know, I never really thought NBA. You know, I thought I was good. You know, I was all right. I made all pre ACC first team, leading scorer, and all that. But you know, I never really thought that I'd be playing with these guys. And I just one part of me is just on on like determination. You know, the one I just I never give up. And I worked out with Chris Paul and Paul George, and um, they were the ones to really tell me that if you go get this, like you you can do it. Like you know, and. Um, I've always had that hard working and that attitude in, in my life, but when you hear that from two future Hall of Famers, you know, it makes you go even harder. Not saying you're not going hard, but, like, you kind of realize, all right, this is closer than I, than I imagined. Um, and I think that's what really kind of set it off in my head. Your father, just on paper, your father seems very interesting in this, in the sense that he, I think, had eight years in the minor leagues, never got to the big leagues. Now has made the big leagues as an employee, but has he... Is there any level where he either taught you, you better go get something else in your life because you don't know if it's going to happen, or you better really grind because you're going to... What was his role and his past experience, do you think, in this journey? I would say your example of you better have something else would come from my mom. I would say that was her big thing. That's why we went to a private school, went to all these things, because that was my thing. I said, look, you know, basketball get me there. And my dad was... Obviously, dad was pushing sports, but... I was like, look, basketball, playing basketball player, but you're not just a basketball player. And I think that's what I try and show everyone, that I'm not just a, a Utah Jazz player. Like, I'm a person, you know, I, I I mess up, I make mistakes. You know, we're not all hyped up. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the same kid that'll start talking trash to everybody on the bench and have this angry face on, but at the same time get off the court and... I'm the same kid that loves watching SpongeBob, you know, like he or loves DJing, loves doing anything off the court, you know, being a different person. And I think that was really big for my mom pushing me that, like, to be something more than just an athlete because there are a lot of athletes in this world who didn't make it, you know. And I told this to all the time: there's a one in eighteen hundred percent, one in eighteen hundred varsity athletes make it to the pros, and that was the mindset how I looked at it. I'm guessing it's probably one hundred eighty thousand, not eighteen hundred. I bet you it's or college varsity athletes. Uh, no, um, high school. High school. I bet it's more than one in eighteen hundred. Yeah, and it's not just basketball. I mean, it is just just right. the NBA. Sorry, it's just the yeah, NBA. I think that number's probably bigger than one that. in one hundred eighty. I think it's probably one hundred eighty thousand. I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah. I'll look it up. But um, that's when you look at it like that, you're approaching. Obviously, like I said, my dad was really pushing the sports, and my my hard work and my determination came from just working hard as I possibly could. But I pride myself on if you see me on the street, you don't just if I'm not wearing my jazz stuff, you don't say, "Oh, that's the basketball." That's just a regular person. You know, that's how I like to be represented. My number's too big, by the way. I'm trying to figure it out right now. <laughs> we'll figure that out. Uh, when you look back at your journey, I know it's still young, but eighteen thousand. Yeah, it's probably in the middle. Yeah. Um, when you look back, at your, where were you different than the other kids? Where was your commitment or your work ethic or your dedication different than the other kids? I would say, looking back on it, I didn't realize at the time. I think between ninth and 12th grade, and I, I don't really count sophomore. In, I mean, I guess you can. Ninth and 12th grade, and even in college, there would be times where I know my friends are going to parties. You know, that's the biggest thing. You're a teenager. You want to go hang out with friends. You know, girls are a big deal, you know. And 
I don't think when I was in Greenwich, I went to school in Greenwich, I don't think I went to uh, probably one party in my three or four years being in Greenwich Country Day. Like, never went out on the weekend. I was always Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You can catch me in the city playing basketball. And I think looking back on that, if I don't do that, uh, I don't know. I'm not saying I wouldn't make it, but it would be a lot harder. You know, I think that's where that came from. There's a, in the book, Grit, that says to be gritty is to resist complacency, whatever it takes to want to improve. Mm-hmm. When did you first show that? Resist complacency. Um, I got my UNC offer, 10th sophomore year. I would say this is when I first realized it. I don't know if that was the first time I ever did it, first time I realized it. Um, I got my first UNC offer. And, um, or letters, excuse me. Letters were equivalent to offers to me in my head, but then obviously went the same thing. And as soon as I got it, I didn't do anything else. I went right to the gym and worked out. And my friend commented at the time, but I had no idea what he meant at the time. He said, You were the first person that I've ever seen to get a letter or something from UNC or a big school and go right to the gym. Usually guys go and celebrate or whatever, and that's the time to get complacent. You know, like, Oh, I'm here. They're looking at me. Let me relax. But I was eager to go right to the gym. What's the most difficult part of trying to improve? I hate making mistakes. I hate making mistakes. Um, so I think that's the biggest part, you know, just making sure that everything, everything has to be perfect, even when I'm trying something new. Like if I'm trying a new way to, sh- like a new move and I have to make the shot, I'll be completely upset that I didn't make it perfect. Like I didn't make the shot. The move might have been good, but I didn't make the shot. Everything has to be perfect with me, and I think that's it's a good thing because I'm always wanting to perfect what I do, but that's the most difficult part for me because I get so antsy and I'm ready to do it right away. When you finish a game, do you remember the good or the bad? I remember everything I did poorly. Everything. Um, and I would say that started from Louisville, playing for Coach P, because you don't remember the good at all. Um, you could win by 50 and there's still... We had this video called Good, Bad, and Ugly, and the bad is always longer than the good. <laughs> so... Um, Definitely when I remember the bad, for sure. You know, you get the moments where you think about, wow, I did this, this, and that. But when that film comes around, you forget. You remember, like, oh, this is this is why I did this here. I did this here. And you, it goes back to being perfect, and I get mad at myself all over again. So it's a whole cycle. There's two quotes. One, I was reading these books that jumped out to me. I'm going to share both of them with you and get your reaction. We'll do one at a time. To do anything really well is to have to overextend yourself, to do something over and over that is unnatural until it becomes natural. One more time. Which one? Are these are this, this is really, I, I shortened it up. Okay. To do anything really well, you have to overextend yourself. You have to do something over and over that is unnatural until it becomes natural. I agree. Do you have a personal experience of that yet that would come to mind? Um, I would say my shooting, actually. Coming out of high school, I was just a dunker who played defense and did hustle play. I made hustle plays, but... Coming into Louisville, I worked on improving my arc. That was the first thing Coach P said to do. I shot 19%. Um, I believe it was 18 of 75 from the three-point line. I remember that because I said myself to myself, every time I worked out, that was the number I put in my head. And just worked on sh- shooting with arc. You would think the ball would touch the top of the roof, how high I shot it. And it was weird. Like, I just – but I kept making them. You know, and that, that's where I would definitely say my shooting stroke and my confidence shooting came from. Second one is well, – this is my favorite – Superlative performance is really a confluence of a dozen small skills, each one learned, which then becomes drilled into a habit. I agree. Another, any other example there? Um, Maybe it's back to shoot. Maybe it's something else. I would say here, starting here, um, 
when college you don't have the same type of treatments in the daily routines that you have here and obviously it's hard when you have class and whatnot but coming here working with this new training staff there's stuff i do with my body now and i don't think i've like my bad days are really good days in in college you know i think just the little details are what gives you good performance like on a back-to-back you know i haven't played back-to-back basketball games since I can't tell you, can't tell you when. Probably ACC you know? tournament. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And we only went. We, you know, we didn't even play. Any, I played one game in ACC tournament two years. Right. So there you go. So like some AAU tournament. Exactly. So um, definitely being able to play back to back and having energy uh, definitely showed me that there's those little things. You know, wearing recovery tights. You know, getting the the stem on your legs. Um, all the little things that you overlook as a, I can't say as a young kid. I'm young, but like younger. You know. You just overlook it and say, I'm just going to go home and sleep. When you wake up next morning, you feel it. You know, I don't feel as sore. I don't feel as tired because of the treatment and the little things I do three hours before practice starts and two hours after practice ends. Final thing. I actually remember that you came off one of the open gyms. I was talking to Walt Perrin, and you said, man, am I tired. But then the next thing you said, well, tomorrow I got this and the next thing. So when you're tired, when it's been eight days in a row or Pacino's been on you, what gets you back out the next day? Um, I got. I can give you two different answers. Uh, first one, um, just the love of it, compete. You know, even if I have eight or nine days straight, or I'm, I feel drowsy, I'm not letting anybody to like try and use that day. Oh, this is my day to get. No, that that, that can't happen. You know, those are the days you can't have because that ninth or tenth day could change a lot. And I'm speaking personally, not as a team. It was just as for for Donovan. You know, as that ninth or tenth day could do it I don't know what could happen like that person could have 40 you know and that could be the night he goes off for a career night on you you know and that there's no one there's no excuses for nights like that and then second days where I do feel tired especially now I'm like man like I don't have class like I don't have to go do anything like this is my job like you don't have, you don't have room for being tired like why are you tired you know I think that's what keeps me going because you know this is what I've been dreaming for like I've been like I told you this whole time since I was a child you know there's no room to look back and be oh I'm sluggish today like no you two three four hours and yeah like that's it go kill in the four three three or four hours and then be rest and get ready for the next day Donovan, thanks for the time all right thank you such an interesting point of view now that we know a little bit more about donovan this show today brought to you by murdoch chevy murdoch chevy's out in woods cross they're doing exciting things right now at murdoch chevy tyson just runs a great play tyson's a good dude i had such a nice time with tyson the other day sitting chatting with him uh we talked to all sorts of different aspects of the world when I uh, was was back there the other day. Uh, finished driving that Chevy Silverado. They have $10,000 off the 2018 Silverado right now at Murdoch Chevy. And I'm telling you what, I drove that truck. It was awesome. Uh, took it out to Grand Targi and back and just the most comfortable long-range truck. The Felt totally safe in it, obviously, with that power that it has. Such comfort and enjoyable. Chevy's just on fire. We've seen during, if you're watching the Olympics, you're seeing all the JP uh, uh, awards they're winning. They've got the lineup from the 2018 Colorado, the 2018 Silverado 2500 HD to the 2018 Silverado 1500. The lineup of trucks is unquestionable. The new Traverse with the third uh, row of seats in their SUV lineup. So Chevy's on fire. Murdoch's been selling Chevy's for 91 years in Utah. They are the bread and butter 
of what Chevy is and the connection to Utah. And then anytime you deal with Murdoch, you're dealing with the no regrets policy. They want to make sure you get everything you possibly can from your dealer. So you're dealing with the five-day price guarantee. You're dealing with the uh, price return. You're dealing with the free car washes and oil changes for life. It's all those great things plus longer service hours. That's what Tyson and Murdoch and Blake is doing over at Hyundai and these guys, uh, Tyson's doing over at Murdoch Chevy to make sure that you get the best experience you can. So stop by Murdoch Chevy in Woods Cross. They're also located up in Logan as well. Now let's do a little get to know of Derek Favors. You obviously know Derek well, but uh, this is again kind of an interesting interview where he talked about how much healthier he was, uh, what he's fought through, things of that nature from last year. I think it's an interesting perspective for you. Let's get to know Derek Favors. If you took me back to your hometown, uh, where would what would you show me? What, where would you take me? If I took you back to my hometown, I'll probably take you to uh, the neighborhood that I grew up, and I'll show you where I first started playing basketball at. And I'm pretty sure you'll have a good laugh at that and be like, how in the world did that happen? And what would I see? Um, you remember I told you about the, I'll show you the, the, the recycle bin that me and my friend had. I'll show you, um, after we graduated from the recycle bin, my friend, he, um, got a, a basketball goal for Christmas one year. We started playing on that and he also got a trampoline. So we start dunking, jumping off trampoline, dunking the ball and we end up breaking the backboard on the um well not break we bent it so i'll show you that i was like yo david this is how i learned how to play basketball on a bent goal that we broke when i was a kid um <laughs> and, um I'll, I'll just show you around show you around the neighborhood show you around the city and um no you'll probably get a good laugh out of it if you took me back to your childhood room what would you what would what would be what would i see in your childhood room you'll see a lot of posters on the wall of um i used to have a lot of posters on the wall of um some of my idols growing up basketball-wise. I had um, Tracy McGrady, um, Kevin Garnett, Kobe. I had LeBron when he first came out. And I also had um, I had a a, um, a poster on the wall with with um, Al Jefferson on it, actually. When he was in high school, when they was getting ready to come out, Al, Marvin, um, Dwight, Josh Smith, Sean Livingston, all those guys, I had a poster of that on my wall also. But um, after that, no, my room was just kind of junky after that. What's the Atlanta lineage? Does it go Dwight, Josh, you? What's the order of kind of the great Atlanta players? Um, what do you mean? Like who came after whom? Like oh. Dwight was – you fought, Dwight was the man, right? And became the number one pick of the draft, but he was outside of Atlanta. Yeah. So he was Georgia. Uh, I mean, it's, it really depends on, like, who you ask because, you know, it's different eras. Um, there's a lot of guys that came from Atlanta, not just Atlanta, but from Georgia, period. There's a lot of guys who – Went professional, but I say in my kind in my era, my little era that I have, it'll probably be um no Dwight, um Lou Williams, Josh Smith, um then me, um who else? It's a, I mean it's, it's a lot of guys, but those would be my top four. Your first nickname ever was Big Slim, if I remember correctly. Is that yeah. right? And yeah, why right. was it Big Slim? Because I was just super skinny when I was young. I was just this skinny kid with no meat on the bones and nothing, no muscles, nothing, just skin and bones, basically. And um, that's what people call me. They just called me Slim, Big Slim or whatever, because I was also tall, but I was just so skinny that they just called me Big Slim. There's a lot of downtime in the NBA. What do you do? What is your? What do you do to pass downtime? Um, hmm. 
a lot of downtime. Um, sometimes I watch movies. Sometimes I play video games. Sometimes I, you know, um, go outside, walk around, go to the mall, go to different restaurants, or just whatever whatever city I'm in and whatever's exciting to do or something different to do, I'll just go check it out sometimes. Now, when you first joined us, you were the king of room service. Like, I don't know if you ever went out for dinner in the first yeah. few years. No, I didn't. So when did you start going out for dinner? Like, what is that like? And, and what's the why is that? Why does the young kid just always stay in, and then eventually now you're you're heading out for dinner and things of that nature as you're uh, a vet? I don't know. I think when I first got here, I just I was just ready to go home, basically. Um, but as I got older, you know, I just started wanting to try different food, different stuff, um, see different things. So you know, I kind of opened myself up a little bit more as I got older. What's your favorite road restaurant? Um, I love going to Memphis. Memphis got some pretty good restaurants because I love barbecue. Uh, Memphis. Um, where do you go? You go Central. Tell you the truth, I don't know the name of it. I just I know how to get there. I don't know the name of it. <laughs> I just know how to get there. Um, go to Miami. Uh, what's the name of the restaurant in Miami? Zuma. Zuma's really good. It was another one I went to with one of my one of my friends down there. I forgot the name of it. it was a little out a little bit. Zuma's really good. Um, New York. See, I'm, I'm bad with remembering the names. I went to a restaurant with my um, with my agent. It was really good. I'm a, I'm gonna get the name of it and tell you. Good. Cause the only good. reason I really ask this question is so I can go steal all your best restaurants. <laughs> no, nah, it, it, this restaurant was really good. So I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna get the name. I'm gonna give it to you. What is? Do you know the phrase guilty pleasure? Yeah. What is your guilty pleasure? Food wise or just anything? Just anything. I don't know. I don't have that many guilty pleasures. Um, I don't have any, to tell you the truth. There's not a purchase you make that's your guilty pleasure? There's not a food? Well, I mean, with purchase-wise, I mean, I don't count it as a guilty pleasure because I want it. So I don't really count it as a guilty <laughs> pleasure. Oh, <laughs> uh, food? <laughs> I want it. And I can uh, get I it. I want it, I'm going to get it. So it's not a guilty pleasure. <laughs> All right, I got it. We're good. I mean, it'll probably be a guilty pleasure if I tell, like, my mom or uh, or my financial guy, like, yeah, I just went and bought, like, this watch or something. It'll probably be a guilty pleasure to them. But to me, like, I wanted it, so I'm, I'm going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, just kind of the road you've taken to get here. The, uh, building off these two books, Angela Duckworth's Grit and Daniel Coyle's Talent Code. What made you believe you were going to make it? What made me believe I was going to make it to the NBA? All the hard work I put in. I, I mean, I pretty much – I didn't know, but I kind of like, man, if I put in all this hard work and I'm out here out playing a lot of guys, you know, I got to make it. So that was one that I believed in my work ethic, basically. That's how I knew I was going to make it. So when you look back at yourself as a kid, what were you doing that was differently than other kids? How were you different in that, in that pre-stage? Man, I, I sacrificed a lot. I didn't even go to my senior prom in high school. I was in the gym. I was in the gym during that time. I was in the gym with my um my AAU coach or mentor, friend, whatever you want to call him. I was in the gym with him every Sunday from seventh grade through high school. Every Sunday while everybody else was at home. I was in the in the gym on Sunday at nine o'clock in the morning, working for like two hours. Um, every day before the basketball season at high school started, I was in the gym. After the season I was in the gym. So I think I just I outworked everybody, and um, I still live by that to this day. That you know, I just outwork people, and then um, eventually good things going to happen. 
So in the book, Angela Duckworth writes that really to be gritty to some extent is to resist complacency, to resist, oh, this is good enough. So how do you keep pushing yourself beyond where you are? Um, I still believe I can get better, a lot better than what I am now because I still got so much stuff that I haven't showcased yet. So, uh, I mean, I could sit back and say, you know what, I'm good, I'm fine. You know, I can score in the post. I could um, hit a mid-range jumper. I could defend the rebound. I'm good. But especially with this offseason, I kind of took it to another level where, no, I, I extended working on extending my range, work on getting in the in the best cardio shape that I can, I can get in, work on on ball handling, just work on different scenarios in the offensive system so I can continue to get better. So I won't be happy with where I'm at. I heard a story. I don't know if it was a year ago or two years ago. I'm going to leave players' names out of it, mm-hmm. but the coach basically said to you, "You got a choice now. You can either be this guy who's right. had a great 12 year career, but he's just a player, right. or you can try to be." This guy, right. who people remember, right. is that what was your reaction when they did? I don't know exactly when. I don't know how much you want to share specifically here on this. Mm-hmm. Um, when was it, or how did it come down? And what was your reaction to that? I was like, I want to be the guy that people remember. <laughs> what are you talking about? So um, that's what made me work even harder on my game. I mean, last year I just I got hurt. I worked so much on my game the previous summer, and I really couldn't showcase it because I got hurt. But even when I got hurt, you know, I still was showcasing stuff that I worked on. But um, I wanted to be the guy who who be remembered. So that's the way I go into every offseason, just try to keep working, try to keep finding new things to work on, finding different ways to um, – techniques to improve my shot, to improve my post game, to improve everything. So I'm always trying to find little things to keep improving on. What's the hardest part of trying to improve? Um – the time you got to have patience with it i think i mean that's my opinion i think it's just the time because you want it to come quick but sometimes not going to come quick you know you might have to be in a gym maybe a month or two just to you know get muscle memory on your jumper or something so i think that's the that's the hardest part but for me i was commit i'm committed to it so it really doesn't matter you might have just touched on a little bit there's a great quote in one of these two books that elite performance they actually use the word superlative performance is the combination of a dozen small skills, mm-hmm. each one learned at a level where it's drilled into one larger habit. From a basketball standpoint, what comes to your mind when you think of these small, minute skills that you're developing to become a, a basketball player? Um, f- footwork. You know, you do different type of footwork moves. It might be boring, but you do like a hundred of them. And that'll help you out. A jump shot, your jumper, you're working on your technique, keeping your elbow tucked in, the release, follow through, balance. Um, post moves, you might be up and under a thousand times. It's, it's a lot of stuff. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of things. It's just what you want to work on, what you feel you need to work on, and, you know, what what do you want to improve on to, to get it. What is the case in your career where you've pushed yourself the furthest out of your natural spot where you've extended yourself beyond your comfort zone? I say this summer. How? Just because I was coming off being hurt, you know, and I was just I was just motivated to get better. So I think I just pushed myself to the furthest I pushed myself before as far as like doing cardio work, doing basketball work, doing weights. You know, it was days that I was exhausted. I didn't even feel like doing it. And I just just went ahead and did it. So what gets you to come back when you don't want to come back? 
what got me to come back? Just being motivated. I knew I, I was hurt last year. You know, I was like, man, I'm not fit to go through that again. So that just kept motivating me to get up. I was getting up probably like around 5 o'clock every morning doing all season, doing that. So I didn't want to go through that again. Have you watched uh, any film of yourself last year? No, I didn't want to. It's weird, by the way. Yeah, I know. I, I didn't want to. I mean, I pretty much watched enough film during the season of how I was moving, and I was just making mental notes during the season, like, okay, this all season, this is what I need to work. I need to work back on improving my lateral speed, my foot speed on the perimeter. I need to work on you know, my running technique. I had to start over from scratch. And I got to work on my cardio, my explosion, um, everything. So that, that's what motivated me to keep going back because I knew I had to work on it. Yet all year whenever we asked you, you said you were fine. Was that just trying to convince yourself? I'm a tough guy. <laughs> you know, I always say, man, if I can't walk, I'm not going to play. If I could if I could walk, you know, I'd go out there and play. So that's that's how I am. So, I mean, when y'all asked me, was I fine? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good to go. You have any? Did you have any doubt during that process of whether you'd ever get – or whether you will ever get back to being the Derek Favors that we saw two years ago? No, I didn't have any doubt. I was just, just weighing it out because I knew it was something that, that would probably take time to, to heal. It was going to heal on its own. It just took time. So I didn't have any doubt. I was just kind of – I wasn't patient. I was just kind of like, man, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. So, what's, your, what's your best personal story of perseverance, of overcoming? Fighting through whatever cliche. I want to say this past season <laughs> that just happened because no, nah, I put I pushed through a lot. I mean, but I had the bone bruise in the knee that was painful. I don't know if you had anybody had it, but that's that's painful. And um, nah, I fought through it, even in the um, in the playoffs. Nah, I fought through that. I was in pain the whole time. I was just like, man, we in the playoffs, man. I'm a, I'm gonna play. I just have to fight through it and you know find some way to just take the pain. Well, you may have you may have singularly won a series as much as anyone did. Yeah, I, I was fighting that whole time. I was in pain, but you know, I had to do what I had to do. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right, hope you're enjoying these get to knows. Donovan Mitchell, Derek Favors today, tomorrow, Ricky Rubio, Joe Ingles, uh, as well as Rudy Gobert, so we'll load you up with three of them tomorrow on the program. And then Friday, we'll be back with you getting ready for the Jazz and the Blazers. The All-Star break comes to an end. And remember, the new Locked on NBA, five days a week. Hope you're enjoying the show. Thanks very much for tuning in to Locked on Jazz, part of the Locked on Podcast Network.